0: Small doses. Self-help from and the hip. Small doses. We're talking that shit. Small doses. And keeping it real. Small dose. With me and Anna seals. It's so funky. <laughs> I feel like I'm FaceTiming my mom. <laughs> this is the perfect beginning to this episode of Small Doses. Side effects of being a black intellectual, which is not the same as side effects of being just an intellectual. Because I'd be feeling like we got a whole other thing going on.
1: We do. Can I talk? Am I talking? Am I on?
0: You're talking. You're I don't know how technology works. So we have Mark Lamont Hill joining us. He's, um, I mean, I think the best way to describe you is... A smart-ass brother. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like that encompasses. I'll take that. Amongst that, Mark is a business owner. Uh, He owns a number of entrepreneurial ventures, including Uncle Bobby's, which is a bookstore and coffee shop in Philadelphia, PA. Uh, Mark is also a professor, a tenured professor, might I add, at Temple University. He's also a Morehouse man. And I believe you're, a, are you a kappa?
1: Wow. We've been friends you're, all these years. Yes.
0: You are a kappa. Because some I things I like to forget. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the pettiness, yes.
0: Um, no shade, no shade. Um, so yes, Mark is a kappa. And Mark is somebody who has contributed consistently and uh, and willfully to not only the African-American cultural canon and the conversation around Black excellence, uh, Black empowerment, Black entertainment, on Black entertainment television. Thanks. Uh, But also topics extending as far as, you know... Black Palestinians. Um, and you are also very involved in the conversation around revolution and prison industrial complex, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I say all this to say that he is the right person to have in this conversation on side effects of being a black intellectual, not just because he is smart and knows how to put up solid memes, uh, but also because. He has contributed to the leveling up of intellectualism within the intellectual space and outside of it. Because if you're only talking to other intellects... That's the point. uh, On top of that, he's my motherfucking friend. Ooh, he's my motherfucking friend. Ooh, ooh.
1: You are by far the most ridiculous person I know. (laughs) And it's my favorite thing about you. (laughs) I'll take it. It's a compliment. Uh,
0: I would like to counter by saying you are by far also (laughs) the most ridiculous person I know. uh, And thus the impetus for our friendship. Indeed. Indeed. I often say to Mark, do you think Malcolm and Maya were like this? Because as intellectual as we are, I think what people fail to realize is that there's like a gradient of ways in which that intellectual presents, intellectualism presents itself. So I would love to hear from you first, just on like... Well, you know what, in particular, the fact that you were the one who decided that this was the right topic, and I would love to hear why you feel like this is the right topic for us in particular.
1: Yeah, because, you know, your podcast deals with um, this question of side effects.
0: He has never listened to my <laughs> podcast. Let's be clear.
1: I have heard snippets, and in those snippets... Um, the idea idea of side effects is important. I think about unintended consequences and unintended uh, expectations, unintended burdens. Um, and I think when we talk about Black intellectuals, we don't think about that. Um, we think about really smart Black people that do really smart stuff in really smart places. All the time. All the time.
0: Infallibly. Right.
1: Right. And it's like, I think that that's important to talk about. You know, I come out of an intellectual tradition um, I was mentored either face to face and in person with folk, or through their work. Um, I was in, I was mentored by so many people. You know, whether it's uh, Arthur Schomburg, whether it's John Henry Clark, whether it's uh, Zora L Hurston, whether it's Bell Hooks, whether it's Angela Davis, whether it's Cornell West, whether it's Michael Eric Dyson, um, whomever. You know, Malethia Sante. We both across you know Marimba Ani. There's so many people. You so name many drop.
0: Women. Just let me know if, if this is going to be the game's first album. Just, just, just game's and every just album. Name drop. <laughs> Touché for the duration.
1: Nope, just them. Just them. I'm good. I'm you know. But I'm, I mean, I think about it because, like, I
0: was I mean, mentored by like Heavy D and the Boys by. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but you know what's funny? It's just like rap, right? Because if I just had said three names, then people would be like, "Oh, this nigga just said." W.E.B. Du Bois, he ain't thinking about the, the Africans, so I got to say Malefia Asante. And then I said, well, if I say Malefia Asante, I got to say women, so I got to say Marimba Ani. And I got yes. to look at the modern, and, and you said said the so I said bell. Hook. And it's like, I really did develop from those people, but in my mind in back of my mind, I'm thinking, I got to say all this stuff because there's a politics, so just like with hip-hop, right? If, right? if you say one thing, you don't say another, everybody takes it as a diss, right?
0: Well, just like the internets. Like, if you love strawberries, they're like, and what about oranges, though? Exactly. So you don't fuck with citrus?
1: Right. You used to fuck with citrus, but then you sold out. You know what I mean? And, and then it becomes this whole conversation. <laughs> it becomes this whole thing, right? Now you Illuminati, right? Because <laughs>
0: and,
1: and, they be eating oranges at the meeting. And, and it becomes this whole conversation about yeah. this, something other than the thing you want to talk, which is the shit you like. And as a black intellectual, I come out of a tradition that, that, that says we got to take in all this information and use it. Um, but I think intellectual work should be combined with joy and pleasure. And sometimes we forget that part. Um, and it's not a whole story of who or what we are. So you end up as like, a black lecture being pushed into this very narrow space and people don't respect your entire personhood. Uh and they can't imagine you in ways out in or or forms outside of the classroom or outside of like the, the typewriter or
0: whatever. It's like seeing your teacher, like fourth grade teacher at the grocery store. Exactly. Exactly. Like, what like, you don't. So you mean you don't live in our classroom? Exactly. Remember an episode of the Cosby Show when Theo, teacher, came over and she took her
1: hair and she had her hair down and she he was like, like, fuck this whole world up. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, what the fuck is this?
0: I'm mad that I can't remember her name right now. Oh, I can't either. Because it was like a, that name was repeated a lot because he really didn't want to take her class.
1: No. And he saw her as this mean, evil woman. And then she came in the crib looking totally different. And her personality was different. She was nice. She was charming. She was all these things. Similarly, if you're academic, people expect you to be very serious all the time. Um, very um, stoic. stern. Yeah, stoic. Very stoic. And it's like I'm, 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 I'm quiet when I'm not in public sometimes. If I'm not talking like people I, I trust and care about. But that's not academic shit. That's just who I am. But I'm silly as hell all the time. I'm I'm actually yes. on my best behavior right now, um, for you know. And but in real life, like that's not that's not the whole story of me. And so Moist.
0: And, and... <laughs> <laughs> This twelve-year-old, like,
1: <laughs> why are you like this?
0: Because, to be honest, I consider myself a black intellectual, and i I've proudly inherit like in, inherited that journey from those like you said, who have mentored us before, right? Sure. and and I proudly take that on and consider it to be something I need to uphold. And I don't take it lightly. I am responsible as I can be and yet and still it's like that ends up getting turned on its side and it almost typecast almost typecasts you. Like it makes it to where you feel like if you're I don't know, if you're yourself in any other way that people either one feel like you're being fake. Right. Because how dare you have like Other energies. Um, And then they also just don't want to accept, like, these other elements about you uh, without feeling like it's conflicting with the the intellectualism. Right. And so for me, like, even... I remember I, I saw this video on YouTube. I showed you this video where this dude is like, she need to figure out what she want to be. Either she going to be a comedian or she going to be smart or she going to be an actress. Like, pick, pick and choose. And it was just, it was interesting because, well, first of all, when we see white people do that with us, we are livid. You know, like right. when they say things like, well, like Katie Couric saying to Denzel Washington, you know, should Hollywood people not involve themselves in politics or, you know, LeBron stick to dribbling, you know, these things. But I feel like with black intellectuals, there's this idea that if you are moving in this space, there's almost like a, an austerity that you're supposed to project in order to be taken seriously. And I personally feel like you can be a black intellectual coming from a a number of different angles. I think killer Mike is a great example of that. Like he's a full on rapper He has certain levels of ignorance, as we all do. I mean, I know all the words, to slob on my knob.
1: I'm not familiar with that. I have respect for... No, no, that's my shit. Um, (laughs) And it's like, you should be able to do... You should be able to know that and and do these other things. And I think, one, I think the best intellectuals have always done those things, right? They've never been singular. And and there was a time where you couldn't be... It's just like... um, if you watch like old TV shows from the seventies, whenever they had an episode like on Good Times, when they had a rent party, or or, the, or the, on, toward the last season they did a similar thing where they're raising money, and yep. and and all of a sudden you're like, oh wait, Bookman can do impersonations? Wait, that was a dancer? Oh wait, like Willona sings the theme song to the Jeffersons? Oh wait a minute, it's fucking Janet Jackson, right? You had that be able to do ten things because that's the only way you could get into the business. You weren't singularly talented, and you may you may shine in this one place, but when you get an opportunity, then you're gonna shine in this other place. And, yeah. and that's part of, I think, the genius of this stuff. I mean, Du Bois is, I, I use WB Du Bois as just one example, but Lorraine Hansberry is another one, right? A, 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 also a, a person who was in conversation with Du Bois. You know, Du Bois was, was interested in music. He was interested in theater. He was interested in philosophy. He was interested in history. Um, he didn't just want to write, you know, uh, these heavy tomes. He also wanted to write to everyday people. And, you know, Lorraine Hansberry, we obviously see her genius writing, you know, in terms of as a play, being a playwright. Look at James Baldwin, right? Yeah. He, he's writing Giovanni's Room. He's writing, you know... Go um, Tell It um, on the Mountain. Go Tell It Hotel on the Mountain. And Bill Stryker talking. Then he, makes, then he has the, the ability to make, um, you know, some of the most important uh, essays we've ever seen. Like The Fire Next Time, right? Both chapters so of that book. So, like, you got these... Br- exactly, right? I mean, that, that's the shit I'm talking about. And the fact that... You can do all those things, to me, is a sign of your talent. But it also shapes your intellectual work. Like, I'm more intellectual when I'm listening to music. I'm more intellectual when I watch a, a, a funny TV show. You know what I mean? I'm more intellectual when I'm... Like, I was just watching Community a minute ago before I was talking to you. And, like, I'm is like... This oh, is they, first time watching? Yeah, I'm, I'm on season one for the first time. And I'm like, oh, they get real meta. Like, with their, yes. the shit they're laughing at is... But that helps me think about my own work differently. Yeah. Poetry helps me, Sonia scientists helps me think about my work differently. So, like, part of it just being intellectual, not being one lane to me is the genius of it. But also, like, it's not inauthentic, right? The fact that you've got Baldwin on your shelf, you know, you might have three other books on on the shelf that ain't got nothing to do with Baldwin, right? And, and, and you may also have some, if, if it were the DVD era, you'd have three movies on, on your shelf that might be some wild shit. Yeah, that that's a whole other podcast we gotta talk about because you got this whole nerd thing that I just can't get with. I don't understand you, Harry Potter people. I don't. I, you will call me like once a week and be like, "Yo, I just got like." So, it, it reminds me of this episode in Star Trek when and your whole voice changes and shit. I have no idea what you're talking about. You know, and I, I'm like, "Who are you?" A minute ago you was doing <laughs> trap music. Now you're talking about some sci fi flick. Right? I don't even. Know the, I don't even get the reference. That's what I mean. Like, so there's again, maybe I got the same, I put the same limitations on. You. I'm so embarrassed for you right now. I put the same limitations on you that probably that, I, that other people put on me. But I'm like, there's just certain things we shouldn't be doing. What is that? That looks like Hey Arnold, thing but things. like the, it looks like oh, it looked like some Hey Arnold like mammy version. Like I, I couldn't figure out.
0: And just to take you to a whole other place of annoyance, Goku san.
1: You have pet cats, which is cool. And when you started, when you when you told me the cats' names, I, I didn't get the references. <laughs> and you were like, "This is Lando." I'm like,
0: "For Orlando?"
1: That's what I thought it was. Yeah, I know. The look of rage on your face. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'd rather I stole some money from you or something.
0: Well, because Lando Calrissian was the the black man of the Star Wars universe. And I just feel like as a black intellectual, at the very least, you should know the blacks in these predominantly white spaces. Like they were in PWIs before we even applied that to educational institutions. Starfleet, it doesn't get more PWI. Like they had to really, their whole level of diversity was like, we got to get aliens. Like, and yet still it's predominantly white. They have a whole galaxy that they can go to and it's still predominantly white. We got a Klingon here and a Bajoran here, but really, it's still predominantly white. Can you...
1: I I can't wait till you watch this back and you hear yourself. (laughs) You probably got a whole, like, like crew of, like, nerds who will appreciate what you just said, but I literally have no idea what the fuck you just said. (laughs) And I say that proudly.
0: Well, I will say this. I think that... What you're saying, though, is in being a black intellectual, though, like there are these things that are outside of our just like black scope that inform our black scope. And I think it's always like fascinating to people to find out that, like, you'd be interested as earnestly as you are in black excellence, in black academia, in black literature, in something that has nothing to do with blackness. You know what I mean? Like
1: Very very true.
0: I Like you are a poly, you're a poly, poly polylinguist.
1: Oh, okay, I know where I, I know I know
0: where I was going. <laughs> like. I definitely had to shut down the conversation that was about to happen on my Instagram the other day. Someone had retweet, someone had liked a post about polygyny, and let's let's start this marriage of five women and me. And I just and and I I, t- I said to them, I say I, I I you know y'all niggas be really fantasizing about this shit. And a lot of the ones who are fantasizing about it, your own life by yourself ain't even together, but you want five women... Five of them, right. ...to sign up. Y'all come sign up now. The
1: only thing dudes are talking about when they say that is sex. They're not signing up for five sets of bills. They're not signing up for five conversations to start with. And you know you know what really bothers me, though? Like, nobody wants to hear that, you know what I mean, five times. Nobody wants to have to explain <laughs> where they had to five people.
0: No. <laughs> None of that. They're not signing up for five different birth control methods. Like, none right. of that. Exactly. Five different dietary needs. Five different sets of parents. So, Lord. five different in like, they're. And for none what it's that. worth, let's just keep it a buck. At a certain age, there's a good chance there's going to be five different baby daddies. Exactly. Because you know women have had children with other people at a certain point in their life you know, but that's a whole but see how we get an intellectual about it exactly.
1: <laughs> that's the that thing that's what we do but nah, you were but,
0: about to say something that was probably poignant
1: uh i don't even remember but but the the, the idea i think of um of oh shit it wasn't for we were uh, you you we were something on your page hold up um uh, I can't remember, but but, but you either way. Saying, you oh, were
0: saying. Oh, I know what it way. is.
1: Yeah, I, the idea for me of having interests that are outside of Blackness um, it, is important that inform our Blackness and inform like, sort of how we talk and think about what we do. I think that is so important. Like, I love listening to music that's not Black sometimes. I love watching TV shows. That are black. I mean, I watch the Golden Girls and find that to be some of the, or, or, or Lucille Ball. You know what I mean? I love Lucy shows. I mean, like, there's genius in that shit. It, and, and you just have to appreciate that. I, I, we just talking about watching Community or or The Office or Thirty Rock. You know those types of TV shows it, it excite me. I don't like them more than black stuff, but I, I like that stuff too. And part of me being a black intellectual isn't having such a narrow, um, parochial idea of blackness that I can't bring nothing else into the conversation. Because at the core, I know that black people started all of it. That black people are, are the are, are the inspiration for so much of what we see. I don't feel anxious subconscious about about consuming stuff that's not black in that moment. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, like, I like having other interests, but also having non-academic interests. You know, you said something that really stuck with me uh, earlier in this podcast when you said, um, this idea of people feeling like you're fake if you show up different ways in different places. And for me, um, that's not, one, it's not true, but two, it's also interesting that the assumption is that the academic one is the most authentic you, right? That if you go to trap karaoke, for example, that whatever you did there is you being fake, but you you know being on a talk show is the real you. I I'm much more a, 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 if there's a a fundamental essential mark, it's much more Always- going to show up at, at the nigger shit than it is going to show up on 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 cable news.
0: And I and I think that there's something to be said for like the brainwashing of white America, how that, how that influences that thought process. Right. Because it's this idea that says that if you are learned that somehow you have like stepped outside of the us of us and so that when you come back into the us of us, it's like, Oh, you know, you've somehow, I think sometimes people feel like, well, that you're just trying to be down now because you, you left you somehow left this, and right. I think that's where you know i I look at this idea of fake woke. Mm. <laughs> you know, there's this concept of fake woke. It gets thrown around very willy-nilly, um, but it really ends up being rooted in this concept of like, if I don't agree with what this person has said, they're no longer an intellect, they're no longer. Woke, they're no longer a supporter of Black excellence, and I think there's a wide range of the difference between disagreeing with what someone has said, and disagreeing with the value of that on Black excellence in, in 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 empowering Black folks.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think there's a and, wariness. Oh, good. I'm sorry.
0: No, no. Go ahead.
1: I was gonna say I think there's a wariness of of, of among Black people of Black intellectuals. Who are in the academy? Doesn't, I'm not saying black people aren't intellectual, or that they they're not, or that they're anti-intellectual. I'm just saying that there's a wariness and a skepticism of people whose job it is to be intellectuals so for good reason. A lot of us have mm. have sold out the people. A lot of us have not, you know, done anything but but fill our pockets. A lot of us are frauds. You know what I mean? A lot of us.
0: A will lot.
1: Enough. I mean, uh, uh, yes. It, it, yeah, I think the Damn. biggest. I think uh, yeah, a lot, and I think the biggest issue is that most just don't pay attention to the community. I don't think most are actively trying to do harm to the community. They're just indifferent. But the fact is they've gotten What do you more.
0: think that they're doing? Is it more that they just like hearing themselves talk?
1: Some like hearing themselves talk. Some like being translators for white people, right? And, yeah. and it's, there's a lot more money in telling, you know, as, as Adolf Reeds once says, is much more interest in telling white people what the drums are saying, you know, being, being their translator, than it is in actually serving the people. And so if I'm a black person in the hood and I see some dude in the academy stop through every once in a while and talk about black people or talk about black suffering or black misery or black joy, for that matter, even though there's no money in talking about black joy, then I'm already worried about this dude. And I'm skeptical. So so I say that to say that sometimes I do understand why um, somebody might be quick to throw dismiss a black intellectual when they when they when they step off course or when they say something that's crazy because it's like, we really trust you. And then we kind of let you in to see if you'd be all right and you was doing all right. But now, you know, now as soon as something's for up, something's up up for grabs, something's at stake, you sell us out so quickly and so easily. And that's the problem is that so much black leadership, it's not just they sell out, which is the fundamental problem. It's they sell out so cheap. They will sell out the whole community for a, a, a four-figure. A if, if you're lucky. If you're lucky. You was about to say a Ford Fiesta, like... <laughs> That's what I'm saying, yo. like they don't care. They just want. And so I get it. But then what that leads to is what you were getting at, which is this kind of um, uh, uh, this, ca- this uh, part of cancel culture and this kind of disposability of people every time you disagree. So, like, yes, I give a perfect example. Yesterday, I did a, a thing for the NAACP with Charlemagne and T.I. and Benjamin Crump and Van Lathan. And we're on that building and talking, and, and the conversation was supposed to be about sort of a new normal for black men after corona, right? Yes. And so, and, and, and somebody comes on and says, I hear all y'all saying, but y'all ain't said nothing about reparations. Y'all ain't said nothing about, um, about a policy platform. All y'all doing is patting each other on the back. And my point was, this whole session was about new ideas of masculinity, new de- ideas of healthiness. Doesn't mean we don't believe in reparations. Doesn't mean we don't believe in policy. It just wasn't what this conversation was. But then the next day on Twitter, people are saying, Oh, they're rejecting reparations. Oh, they're rejecting a black agenda. All they want to do is talk about love and, and that intersectional feminist stuff. And it's like, no, we can do two things at once. Yeah. But, be, but, but they're so scared that we're going to sell black people out. And, 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 and everybody gets this battery in their back to throw everybody away that they can't hear that maybe we do love black people. Maybe we do support a policy agenda. Maybe we do support Black reparations and Black freedom, and we want to have a conversation about loving each other. That's okay, too.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting because you said something where, uh, you know, um, just now where you said there's no money in Black joy.
1: Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Never. Never.
0: It's fascinating to hear you say that because I feel like that's literally what I've attempted to build my whole platform on. Yep. Like Smart Funny in Black is literally about celebrating Blackness. Um, There are definitely individuals who I've seen, like, like, I never wanted to feel like if Black folks overcame that I wouldn't have a job anymore.
1: Right. Right.
0: Right. (laughs) That's the thought process for me. Like, so what if we do, like, Eventually, overcome. I don't want to be looking around like, well, shit, what's the next oppression Olympics I can be at the helm of? But what makes you say there's no money in Black joy? I think
1: there's a way that Black misery excites um, the the, the white liberals. Um, They love to hear about the pain stories. They love to hear about the misery. Um, They love to feel like they can intervene in that and make our lives a little bit better, but nobody wants to fix the problem. Um, the other issue I think is that there's a certain kind of satisfaction and pleasure people get after a while. It's like it's like poverty porn or violence porn, right? Is that, I mean, think about all the videos on social media of people getting beaten up or people getting jumped, even people getting shot by police. I'm not saying people love watching it, but there's a way that it can become part of your norm so that our, our daily diet of consumption just becomes misery and pain. And, 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 and that just becomes our norm. Um, there are people who have a financial stake in black misery. Um, the, the, it's just like Chris rock and his own routine about the money being in the in, the, in, the, in, the, in treatment not curing it right is that it's the same it's the same point here people how a whole lot of people make money doing doing getting grants and getting funding to be able to preach to the natives and and, he, and talk to the natives and counsel the natives not to not to fix them right not to fix the problem. The other issue is the wealthiest and most powerful people in the world benefit from their being oppression. You can't have a billion dollars or a half a billion dollars unless somebody's catching hell. And so, the, the, but you want to feel good about that half a billion you got or that hundred million you got or that hell, that two million you got in some places. And the way to feel good about it is to say, I'm doing something for them. I'm not going to radically re- or reshape the world so that we all got the same shit. I'm just going to, but I am willing to do just enough so that I feel better. And so that's where the misery comes in. And then we can buy into it as well. Because um, if we know that Hollywood, for just to give you an example, if we say, we know Hollywood is going to greenlight certain kinds of scripts, they're going to fund certain kinds of projects. And, and like, there was a time when all people wanted to see was hood movies. They want, you know, you, oh, we got a boys in the hood? Give us five more. Yeah. Right. It, it's, that, it's that same idea. And so um, and so then we buy into it and we reproduce the same stuff, not because we don't have joy or because we don't recognize joy, but because.
0: We see the end.
1: You see the end. And we're, and we're catching the hell. So it's like, look, I I can't eat. So if I can make a movie about niggas who can't eat, and then I can eat. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like the Hattie McDaniel theory, right? I'd rather play one than be one. I'm being a maid. So I think there's part of that too. Um, And I think sometimes in the midst, and this is the last piece, I think sometimes in the midst of Catching Hell, you can lose sight of the joy. You know, because we're, we're, we're surviving all the time. We're always in survival mode. We're always in defensive mode. We're always in reactionary mode. It's easy to forget all the bright spots that happen in our day. That's why... And social media, it's the same thing. For all the memes about oppression, all the memes about dying, I love to go to your page so I know I'm going to laugh. I'm going to get some serious shit, too, but I am also want to laugh. I love to go to somebody's page and see people from Detroit, you know, line dancing six feet apart. Like, that shit makes me happy. I, I sent you a text earlier today. Yes. Um, it, it was absolutely ridiculous, but it was, it was the girl singing uh, Release My Nigga" to, to the melody of Feliz Navidad. Yes. And I had to show it to you. I was like, yo... I don't know what your day is looking like, but this shit made my day better. I, I watched this 74 times because I needed to feel better about all this craziness going on. So I'm sending it to my peoples like, look, watch this because we need an interruption. And that joy, whether it's silly and, and short or whether it's long-term and sustainable, um, is 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 part of what we need to spend more time on. But black intellectuals, we don't do that. If you're a sociologist, the money's in, in violence and victimization and gangs and drugs and prostitution. It's not what are the everyday ways that people... Find joy exist. and healing and exist against the odds. How do we how do we resist? I mean, I think when you were at Columbia, um Robin Kelly was there, right? Wasn't he was Robin yes. Kelly there? Yeah. I mean, one of his books, Race Rebels.
0: Race Rebels is all about. Let me exactly. use my degree right now. Let me use my degree. Race. Race. Let me use it. Let me use it. It's all about the the seemingly uh, infinite ways that black people come up with opp- opportunities and 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 uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for systems of resistance against exactly. what seems like a completely not possible like a completely resistance proof situation. Exactly. So like exactly like he talks about how like you know the slaves who are working in the kitchen a form of resistance for them might be just like spitting in the food. And, like, even if that doesn't get them freedom, it might give them just a peace of mind, like, gotcha, bitch. Exactly. And even that is—so his whole book is about everyday forms of resistance. And to your point, I think so much of just being a Black intellectual, for me, is about trying to empower folks to do that, to, like— alleviate a bit of their stress a bit of their ptsd a bit of their uncertainty a bit of their feeling of out of control uh, you know because we are of course overrun by a system that gives no fucks about us you know by having these kind of everyday forms of resistance that make you feel like yeah but you don't got all of me right you know
1: but that's the joy
0: that's and and I and the reason why I said in the beginning that it's a, it's a unique thing to be a black intellectual is because that's a certain that's a certain resource of joy that other for other intellectuals may not need or may not consider um, on their priority list at the top
1: exactly. of the game. Exactly, and other black intellectuals have the luxury of figuring out. I'm sorry, other intellectuals who are not black have the luxury of figuring out what they want to study and figuring out because they're not they don't they're not pinned up against this wall of of expectation. Yes that they have to talk about misery, right? Like every, every uh, scholar of every Cambodian scholar does not have to think about Pol Pot. They don't have to think about killing fields, right? It's an important part of the story, but there might be other parts of the story, right? Um, Everybody who is catching hell in a particular space doesn't have to just talk about the hell. But I think with black intellectuals, we have the, we have the expectation that we are going to save the race, talk about the race, you know, um, do all these things outside the expectations of other people in our field, just like black artists. Right. People are always asking, you know, why isn't hip hop, you know, leading a revolution, you know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, why isn't hip hop stopping this? Why isn't hip hop getting more people to vote? No one is asking, um, you know, rock stars in the eighties and nineties to end white supremacy. Right. No one's asking axel Rose. They should have been, of course, because that's their job. Right. We should have been asking Axel Rose, or or whomever, right? To to or, or Hugh Hefner, for that matter, um, to, to to talk about rape culture, misogyny, patriarchy, but those aren't the expectations. But the black artist and the black intellectual have this extra burden of saving the race, representing the race, uh, studying the race in very particular ways, so that we don't necessarily get the joy, right? So if I wanted to write a book right now on um, on 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 Entourage, which happens to be one of my favorite TV shows ever, for all these weird reasons, people would be like, Yo, why are you wasting your time on Entourage when black people are dying? Right. But if I were a white woman that wanted to write a book on the Golden Girls, nobody would say, why are you writing about these four women in Miami when women all around don't have a living wage or are getting paid 70 cents on the dollar? It's not the same expectation. So one of the side effects of being a black intellectual um, is that you have a you, you have the whole burden of the race placed upon you. Just like when you're a black professor. If I'm in African-American studies, the black chemistry students still come into my office for office hours to complain about how the chemistry department is racist.
0: I just wanna yeah. I just wanna put a pin in that for a second and say that I just gotta notice that my trampoline is on its way.
1: Oh my god. So you told me, I think it was earlier this week or last week that you were getting a trampoline. And I I know you long enough to know that you probably weren't joking. If anyone else said that shit, I thought it would be some weird joke they were making, but like you I was still kinda hoping you didn't buy a fucking trampoline. You 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 bought a trampoline. Oh, Amanda, you trampol- Amanda, you bought a trampoline man, you bought a trampoline. You you own a trampoline. Why why do you why do you own a trampoline? Just tell me why you own a trampoline.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you a trampoline. First of all, I need to get my booty back. Okay? And I don't want to do squats. I don't want to do squats. But there are some urban theories of how to make that happen. And it's an urban theory, but I can't do that either. Cause it's a quarantine. Okay. So, um, this is a way for me to get black joy, uh, and also get my black booty back. And I just, I just, I did, I I thought that this day would come, but I wasn't sure. And I, I looked, I wished upon a star, a star of a story and, and I, I, I swang low, sweet chariot. And okay. So, something I did, I just, I'm so genuinely like.
1: No, that's what's crazy about it. I just was <sighs> excited since like the last Star Trek convention. Like, this shit, is, like, you own a trampoline. I guess if I think about all the shit you can do, you make it big. Like, this, you know what I mean? You didn't buy like
0: well, I grew up with trampolines. tiger. I know. That shit's just, just, I don't. I had a trampoline. And then I had another trampoline. I was a gymnast. I get it.
1: Which you're like, bro. He's <laughs>
0: like, I get. I get the math, but that don't mean. <sighs> <sighs> I'm super duper hype. Um, but while you were talking, so people ask me all the time, like, do you think we need another black leader? Like, do mm. we think we need another black leader? Do you think we need a black leader? Et cetera, et cetera, and. You know, I tell them, well, when we have black leaders, folks, you know, it, we romanticized this idea right. that, like... They ain't right. want it. Now they all up it. Right. Right. That everybody was just... Th- like, you know, Jesus died on the cross because there were folks <laughs> that were like, we ain't rocking with you. You know what I mean? Like, it just... We see the, the later, 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 later story, and it's just like, yo, everybody was... He was popping. But at the time, you know, he definitely... uh was in the middle of a bunch of mean girls. And it's, I mean, when you look at King in the Wilderness, it's like, so Martin Luther King died, like, full of anxiety, full of depression because he could not understand why his people didn't, the people that he was fighting for, like, just weren't completely and wholly understanding where he was coming from. And so when people ask me, like, do we need another black leader? I'm like, well, not at the cost of that. Like not, because I know for me, like Charlemagne is always on my back about making sure that I am not internalizing, well, you are too, but not internalizing the BS and the, the falsehoods that come, you know, with me saying things that we know to be true, uh, but that folks may not want to hear. And so then they apply a bunch of erroneous, like just incorrect assumption And then you feel like you need to address it. But it's like, no, but you know the truth. So you can just know the truth. Um, Because if you start going down that road, it starts to paw ropes in you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you can't play with that. But I wonder, in your opinion, would you consider, uh, like, would you consider Huey P. Newton well, Huey specifically, I, you would, but would you consider Malcolm, would you consider Martin black intellectuals as much as they are black leaders? The reason I took Huey out of the equation is because Huey did. Got a PhD. Go to Stanford and get a doctorate before he got a Barrett.
1: There's a, there's an interesting question. It's an interesting question. I mean, I guess it comes down to how you understand an intellectual. Um, and, 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 the body separating intellectuals from scholars, from, you know, all these mm-hmm. things, from, say, like, a, an academic. Academics are people who do it for a job, right? They might, they're, they're, they're professional uh, scholars, you know, and teachers. They're people who, who do this for a living. A scholar herself is the person who spends their life trying to produce new knowledge, doing deep research in whatever form or fashion to produce new knowledge, she take everything we know, whether it's history, whether it's archives, whether it's live study, you know, whatever, to produce new knowledge. And in, in, no, in those ways, I'd say no. They, they, were neither tra- they were neither professional or trained academics and they weren't scholars. Uh, their job wasn't to produce new knowledge. They produced, uh, Malcolm, of course, produced a book with Alex Haley King. has produced several books and a dissertation. Um, but I wouldn't say that they were academics or scholars. Are they intellectuals? I would say yes. I, I think the intellectual is someone who... Um, engages in the life, takes the life of the mind seriously, and to to do that, it can look in, it can look a lot of ways. Again, you can be a professional one, you can be an organic one, as Antonio Brown she talked about. You can be the person in the community that is one. You could be the tech, you could be the village grill. You could be the bookstore owner. You could be uh, you could be a lot of uh, an intellectual in a lot of ways. Malcolm becomes Malcolm when he when Malcolm goes into prison in uh, 1946. He, he does so with no formal schooling really completed behind him. He went to school, did well up until the point that he didn't, right? Um, high school was very tricky for him He goes in there, and when he meets uh, uh, Bain, uh, Brother uh, Bainbury, he, he then becomes um, committed to the life of the mind. He reads the dictionary, but he reads all these other books, right? He's, he's, he's begging for an education. Malcolm becomes an intellectual, um, not because of any job he would have when he gets out of prison in 1952 as a nation or, or elsewhere, but because Malcolm used all those books, whether it was reading Mao, whether it was reading Marx, whether it was reading uh, Hegel, whether it was reading the Black literary tradition, all that stuff that he did, learning and from studying with Maya Angelou, like all that stuff made Malcolm who he was. And so when Malcolm made his moves in the world, every action that Malcolm made was informed by those traditions and those teachings, including the teachings of the honorable Elijah Muhammad and the Nation of Islam, so especially those. So, so Malcolm was an intellectual, but he was an organic intellectual. He came out of the people, and he uses his his intellect for the people. King, same thing. Again, King read all that stuff, and and, and King did it at Boston. King got his PhD in Boston. King went to Morehouse, right? He went to Crozier Theological Seminary the, the year after. Uh, yeah, because he graduated in forty four, then he did Crozier forty five, and then, yeah, and then he goes to then he goes to Boston. So. King is brilliant, but King doesn't use his intellect to, to go... That's why I asked. Yeah, but he used it for something else. And so for me, the greatest intellectuals of our time aren't necessarily the ones who went to school, look at Baldwin. They're not necessarily the ones who went to school and, and made their job to be in school, look at right. King. You know what I mean? They, they're people who understood this thing differently. And so um, I think there are a lot of Black intellectuals out here. I think there's no shortage of it. The question is, how can we link... Together, how can we draw from the, the, the right traditions and how can we leverage the right traditions and the right kind of organizing force in the interest of free and black people? And and, and how do we not do that in a narrow way so that so that when I look at uh, when I look at uh, when I listen to a Kendrick Lamar album, I see some intellectual work. there, Right. And when I watch um, a film by Spike Lee, I see some intellectual work there, you know, um, or, or let's fast forward to like Moonlight. Maybe may be a, a better modern example.
0: Yeah.
1: Or Bill Street. There's some intellectual work happening there, right? Um, what you do um, on multiple platforms. There's intellectual work there, oh. and 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 that for me is 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 the answer. Like getting that shit out, you know, getting that stuff done. That for me is that's what excites me as an intellectual. Like I, I, I I'm, excites I'm, you. It, 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 yes. <laughs> Fucking child. I walked right into that one. Walked right into it. I for, forgot for a moment that you were not an adult. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it does. It does. It's, it's so funny. Like, I don't, if you took away um, all these jobs, all these things, like, I would still have my books. I would still have my, my my desire to write and read. And that for me is what makes me intellectual. Not my degrees, not where well, I teach. Well, shit, that's then. what's
0: happening right now. Right. I mean, for all intents and purposes, like, you're not in class. Teaching,
1: right.
0: right, right. But you still got your books.
1: Yeah, yeah. And and I, and this this is not like a prop.
0: I got. if you turned around, you were just like, exactly. <laughs> and there was a pole behind it. Exactly. <laughs> that's a sketch. That, that is, is a sketch. A sketch. <laughs> that's a sketch. To me, that is the quit. That's like the essence of common. Like. Common, everybody wanted to believe, like, he's a conscious rapper. He's like, No, like, I love hoes, like, right, I'm both. From Chicago, right, I, I love, love both, both. Right. that's common,
1: right, There's and that's why, that's why I love common because, because <laughs> when, like, like, that ass, like, I mean, I, it's funny because common for a long time was kind of like, I mean, common still one of my, among my favorite rappers, but there was a journey from his second album, uh, up until, um, Finding like
0: Forever,
1: like, one for chocolate. Well, like is, is my absolute favorite comment. One of my favorite albums of all time. Yeah. I actually have it tattooed. I have a list of like albums tattooed as one well of it because it, it matters so much to me. But I, I watched that journey from comment like, and this is how I. This is my journey as a black intellectual in some ways, right? You know, one day it all makes sense. Resurrection was like, oh, he's learning some shit, right? Right. Then it was like one day it all makes sense, and now he's 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 somewhat hotepi about it, a little hotepi about it, right? When he's like, we're doing a song with Lauren, and he's like, hundred, you know, whatever ain't worth your soul. Um yep. talking about the price of an abortion. And then you get this this pivot.
0: I never dreamed you late. That's my shit. in summer. And
1: nobody should do Stevie, but she did that shit. She did. And and and, and I'm like, okay, I get it. I love I love what Kam is doing here. But then he pivoted again to like water for chocolate. And I felt like he was in a the pocket there because he was conscious, but he wasn't. Um,
0: He was conscious while being conscious of his own complexities. Exactly. He was was conscious of the complexities of our world while being conscious of his own complexities. Exactly. It's so dope when you get in that pocket. Like, I feel like that's what comedy did for me.
1: really? Really?
0: Comedy allowed me to, like, find that pocket where it's like, I can be aware of all that's going on in the world, and I can be aware of all that's going on with me and find the points of light with all of them. Like, that's what Smart, Funny and Black does. Like, that's what SFP Society seeks to do with this social network that we're creating, like, to just be able to have points of entry for all of these levels of self. Like, when people talk about Tupac, and they realize, like, well, he has contradictions, and it's like, well, who do that doesn't? the doesn't? Tupac like, doesn't, right. right. You know, like, there's all... Like, I hate when people say, like, I don't agree with everything you say, duh like right it'd be weird if you did it would be weird if you did it would be you would be a sycophant for all intents and purposes exactly and I think the I lost my train of thought but you were oh I wanted to ask you just so as somebody who does like work in these different spaces like you're in Ferguson when Ferguson happens but you're also in the classroom right like you spent quite a bit of time in the classroom at Morehouse like as we talk about organic intellectuals and the ability and necessity for those folks and the understanding that that can be a space, where do you feel like education plays an integral part in developing Black intellectuals? Because I don't want to yeah. undermine, you know, just the value of that. I can tell you 1,000% I wouldn't be the person I am if I didn't go to graduate school at yeah. Columbia with Manny Marable and Stephen Gregory and Farrah Griffin and Robin Kelly, you know, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I I know, and I know that, right. Like I know that I basically had, you know, like, like white idiots putting Lysol into their skin, um, into their veins. I basically had just black intellectualism tapped in and I could have still been an intellect. Right. But I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on the value yeah. it's played in not only your life, but where you feel like education and the work that you're doing in the scholarly place in an academic setting, how it helps to develop intellectualism on the black sp- space as well.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's important to make the distinction between education and schooling, um, oh. because I think sometimes we we conflate the two. Okay. Um, I think that because part. Cause, I think nobody disagrees that you need education. Even if you, even if you a adult boy, right. And you don't ever want to go to school. You, you still got to learn shit, right. So, there's a the way school that of
0: hard knocks. Right.
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I, I feel like schooling is the thing that does the damage. Sometimes schooling is the thing that does harm, mm. but schooling is also the thing that gives you a concrete uh, credential that is legible to the broader world. And so, on the one hand, we need education. Education happens in lots of places. Like, you know, I'm not a trained journalist, for example. I never went to journalism school, but, I, 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 but I'm in South Africa uh, with Ed Gordon learning how to cover a story, learning how to write a show. You know, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm training with these people, right? The great uh, John Henry Clark, maybe one of the great greatest scholars the 20th century has produced, certainly one of the great uh, Africana scholars that the world has ever produced. He he got a PhD in his, in, as a senior citizen, Right. His training came at the feet of Arthur Schomburg, you know, who himself never got a formal education. So you call
0: this schooling?
1: That's education because they got the training. They got the discipline. They got the work of of knowledge, but they didn't do it um, in a formal setting. Schooling is about the institution. Schooling is about the structure. We get schooling from K to 12 or K to 16 or K to 20 or whatever, however long you in school, we get schooling there. Now, sometimes they overlap. You had a moment at Columbia where it overlapped, right, where the education you needed and wanted combined with schooling and they gave you a degree for the very thing you wanted anyway. But most of us spend our time uh, K to 12 getting schooling because they tell you that's how you get a job because the law makes your mama send you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we hope for those brief moments of intersection between what school is doing and what and the education we want. But most of us who get consciousness, we get the schooling. And then we get the education elsewhere. It's almost like a dual degree. So we go to school K to 12, but we go to the black bookstore. We listen to our elders. We, we you know, we... we we, yeah, we, go we get to, it where we go, can get it. We get it where we can get it. And so part of our job is to make the education that, that, that's offered outside of school um, more available to folks so that school doesn't keep teaching them all the wrong shit. Now, the, the problem is now in the era of social media, even more so, there's lots of education all over the place but even just because you don't do it and let me back up just because education doesn't happen in a formal setting doesn't mean that it's not discipline you know okay it is, i mean even if you're a five percenter i don't mean even i don't mean that with any disrespect to the five percenters i'm saying that i'm saying no, even to me
0: that might seem you know, for some folks like it's a very unorthodox space so it doesn't have value but it's like no
1: right as a five percenter you don't they don't just give you 120 lessons right There's you, a you get your one that, you get your one to 10 and then once you master, you know who is the What's original man. What's today's science? E- exactly. So today's mathematics is knowledge, right? So today's the first. Is knowledge, right? So I can. That's what I said. it's knowledge, right? You it's better th- just drop
0: the mathematics just <laughs> like that.
1: That's what we do. But but that but that's literally how you get it, right? So once I can say the original man is the Asian black man, the maker, the owner, creator, premium planet, the following civilization the guy of the universe, right? Then and I can go one to ten. Then I'll get the next set of lessons, right? I, I'm 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 pacing you and I'm training you, right? I got to understand where something comes from. Before I can get to the to, to the end result, and so um, out of school education can be just as disciplined. The, the most educated people in our community got education, even if they couldn't get schooling, like my uncle Bobby. But what happens is now because everything is everywhere, even if five I can Google the five percent lesson, right? Mm-hmm. I can I can go on YouTube and watch somebody give a lecture on on Africology or Egyptology, even if they don't understand the most basic. Um, um um dimensions of the study itself. And so we get undisciplined thinkers. Everybody is now has a microphone, everybody's a teacher, everybody's grabbing knowledge everywhere, and there's no systematic uh path what of inquiry. Is,
0: but what is the value of the of the disciplined thinker? Because I think that's mm. that to me is really where um because I'm often I like oftentimes people are saying stuff to me that I don't want to necessarily devalue but I'm also very I'm also able to just identify like this is not cohesive like this is not right. coming from a a um a thought process that has a clear beginning and end like this lineage like i hear what you're saying and it doesn't it's not it it's it, it's not that it doesn't have value but it feels like it's in a vacuum um yeah. and i think maybe it's because i'm 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 seeing that it's coming out of an undisciplined thinking because I feel like everybody can have an opinion now that is not necessarily an educated opinion, but right. what you're adding is a whole other element to it, which is that it's also not a disciplined education behind it. So can you speak more to that?
1: Yeah, it's about training. Um, again, and this is why every, every the problem is everything in this world is so individualized now. For, from our social media pages to how the economy works, everything, we're, we're encouraged to be individuals all the time. When in fact, education is by nature a communal project, and so what we need is training, which produces the discipline. Right? It's not enough. Malcolm didn't just go and grab 120 books or or, or, or a couple hundred books at a library and read. He was given a course of study, right? And, and and that course of study is what. And you say, okay, well, I can't understand the current moment unless I understand history. What point is it? What point would it be for me to understand? Uh, American capitalism if I don't understand Karl Marx, and I'm not reading Marx first. And to understand what Marx is really saying, I kind of got to read Hegel first. So I need a path of, of structure. But where do you find that, right? A teacher! But again, it doesn't have to be in school. That's why I say we don't have to complain schooling and education. Sometimes they intersect, a lot of time they don't. But I need someone to guide me on an intellectual journey. It doesn't mean that the person guiding me is is, is my puppet master. right? No. They're teaching you what to think sometimes, but most of the teaching you how to think Yes, and, and, and how to think is far more important than what to think. Because if you teach me how to think, I can, ins- I can understand what you're teaching me in terms of content, but I can also push back. I can challenge you. Because I, I had resist. the tools to do so. Exactly. And so, and so John Henry Clark may have landed differently than, than Arturo Schaumburg did, but that's okay. We land somewhere else. Um, and, 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 and this is what, this is what makes all of this stuff so important is that we need discipline. That's why we need community education. We need people to teach and not just talk. But the problem is, and this is my biggest frustration, and I don't mean this with any arrogance. I don't, is that, um, social media makes people seem like your peers when they are not. Right. (laughs) Like,
0: like I, I,
1: (sighs) like I'm not debating Um,
0: with someone. Did you see the post I put on my Instagram about that? (laughs) I did a post on my Instagram the other day about that. Like someone had said to me, it seems like you just don't like white people. And I said, we're not coming at this from the same place for you to even, and I know that because if you can see the way that I, approach things and talk about things and deduce things and you arrive at that, we're not peers. And, and I talked about how like, you know, a peer group is not simply just based on age, you know, it's, it's, there's so many other things. Are we in the same dream group? Like, do we even have the same aspirations or consider success to be based on the same thing? Do we have the same value group? Like this peer group also is like, have we put in the same work? in ourselves, into our information gathering, into our research. Because we're not having a conversation from the same place. You're literally, well, not literally, but you are bringing a pen to a gunfight. Because right. I got an AR-15 and you come in with a BIC.
1: Right. But from a distance, they can look the same, right? And cable news does that, right? It'll Which is take... why
0: they say don't argue with fools.
1: Exactly. Because you'll be on, you'll be on k- cable TV, for example, and you could be an expert in some shit and you could be talking to some right-wing hack whose only job it is is to just disagree with you. But from a distance, y'all are both analysts, right? Um, right? And so you can't tell. I'm debating someone on Twitter and I may have spent the last 20 years of my life studying a thing and this person may have may, may have just Googled a thing. I've
0: seen this happen with you. Yeah, like-
1: And I, I'm trying to be more disciplined about and more patient about it. On the one hand, not arguing with those folks, but right. also in, 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 in positioning myself as a teacher to the broader audience watching this encounter and not worrying about that person or trying to convince that person. John Henry Clark said... I I, I I only debate my equals all others I teach. you know
0: I only debate my equals all others I teach. Yes. So here's the thing. you know my therapist is always trying to tell me like, Amanda, sometimes you just got to know you're right. Yes. Like you don't you just gotta know it like you don't have to tell it like there's a restraint she says that comes from strength, and deciding, like, I don't have to put this out all the time in a place of I'm right and you're wrong. And I think that sometimes it comes off that way just in the, in the essence of trying to teach. Right. Right? And trying to correct. But sometimes it literally is just, like, your best bet for preservation, even, of self is just, like, all right, that's what y'all think? I'm going to let y'all think that. I'm going to go over here and continue to teach to the place that people are receiving. And if you want to wander over and come in here, you can. But I think as a black intellectual, so much of what weighs on our shoulders is the idea that if we don't teach the ones who don't know, then they're going to get lost. And we are carrying the burden of sending our own to the slaughterhouse of ignorance.
1: Right. But the problem is they have to be ready to, to learn. Absolutely. You, you know, so I'm, I'm debating some, I'm, I'm writing some. I remember the other day, somebody, same thing happened. Someone said, you know, but you, you need to read and think about, um, and they named it a list of shit. They said Flint water, um, the history of, of, of mass incarceration. They would name like three things that were in my last book, like literally in, in, in my book, nobody. Uh, and I replied cause I'm, you know, I'm, I'm petty. So I was like, well, you know, I, I, these are great, important points. You know, I've addressed them um in this book and I posted the picture of the book and like highlighted that you know I know you did yeah. in the index. Right. And and then you know they do, they block you. Right. So Likewise. I just spent ten minutes of my life trying uh-huh. to prove something to this person that I could have used for someone who actually was ready to learn something who wasn't just trying to be antagonistic. You know, and then there's the issues of race, the issues of gender. Some people want to learn they just don't want to learn from a woman. Some people want to learn but they wanna learn from a black woman. Well, so what's... you know and and etc etc etc. And so what I'm trying to do is be more just with my time, but also not debate. Like my students do this. They're like, I disagree. And it's like, look, I could be wrong. I don't say this to my students. I, in, in class, you have to engage and create dialogue. But there's a certain hubris that comes from yes. being like a, a 17-year-old freshman um, at, say, Morehouse. This just to at Morehouse. I, 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 you know, debating someone who spent their entire adult life studying a, a subject and, and saying that you disagree. It's like you might not know enough to disagree. Right, so I might think, for example, I think "Off the Wall" is Michael Jackson's best album, right? I I think I'm right, right? I would say that "Thriller" is his most successful album. "Thriller" is an amazing album, but I prefer "Off the Wall," and I think "Bad" Do is you know? the start of the decline, right? I think "Bad" again an amazing album. Some of my favorite songs are on "Bad," but I think "Bad" is I think I think they I think they actually go like this, not like this, right? Um,
0: okay.
1: But it's it's a debatable argument, right? Some people say "Thriller" is better. No one says "Bad" is the best album, but but really? no, but if Quincy Jones were to come in here right now. And be like, yo, you know the fuck you're talking about. Actually, let me tell you,
0: bad just, is the better. We would yeah. be like, Please. I, I would sit back and listen. It doesn't mean that he might be wrong, right? I mean, it's but just it's worth. Yeah,
1: I, I would allow for the possibility that Quincy fucking Jones might know enough about Michael Jackson's music to see produced all three of those records. I, and he's just a, a, made the greatest musician twentieth century produced, right? I, I, certainly, the, as a producer and composer. I would say, you know what, this is worth listening to. I'm not going to a priori, before investigation, presume that, that, that Quincy don't know the fuck he's talking about, right?
0: You're going to apply deference. You're just right. going to basically just defer. Like, please. take. Because the- you look dumb not doing it, right? But Quincy that's Jones- the thing. Is like, so many people don't understand that concept. And that's what I think... To me, the, the most effective Black intellectuals are the ones who are able to say, oh, I don't know about that. Please. Put me on. Exactly. I, that's, I pride myself on that. However, it looks to people who think they already know everything, who haven't done the research. It looks like I never do that because I don't do that with them. Right. But you
1: also make a decision not to talk about things that you don't know about, right? No. So, which is what I do, right? I'm like, I don't know, I don't know enough about COVID. Someone asked me to do an interview on COVID two weeks ago. I said, I have I, I can speak to X, Y, and Z. But the ABCs of this in terms of like as a disease and how it's spread, call an expert. Go a doctor. I don't know enough about this to talk about it.
0: One of my biggest mistakes was when I did a video about Rodney Reed and I made an error in the information that I referenced I in the video. Right? Yeah. And, and it, mind you, in the video I'm saying I'm not an expert on this. I'm not an expert on this. This is the stuff I found out and this is what I came up with. And yet, but but even just because the way I speak, it sounds like she's an expert, even if she's not an expert. I was lambasted because folks are like, you're lying. You are lying. And I'm like, but I'm, I'm not lying. I made an error, but I broke my own rule because I spoke, I said too much. Like I should have just spoke on what I did know, which was I know that I felt a certain way about how information had been presented to me. And I right. i should have just cut it at that. But I felt compelled to have to like do an entire, because you feel like you have to give all of that in order for it to be a valid argument, because these days everybody wants to undermine and find, like you said in the beginning, it's like you can't just name two people, you gotta name the African scholar, you gotta name the feminist scholar. You, you just feel like if I don't present you this entire rounded thing that is not gonna have value, but you're right, like, there's so much value in simply just knowing, like, I only speak on what I know about. Like, you know about Black people in Palestine. I am, I'm not going to talk about that. That's actually like,
1: a good example, right? I was I was tweeting about Afro-Palestinians, right? And someone was literally debating me that there was no such thing.
0: I watched this. I saw this. <laughs>
1: They've been Googled one article, right? Which, of course, I've read. Because um, I've read literally every article I've ever written on this subject, and use that as proof that I was wrong. And it was like, bro, I'm, 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 I'm here. I'm, I'm literally I'm
0: sitting next to.
1: Right. Like... I literally was. I was literally sitting in the African quarter in East Jerusalem, <laughs> writing this tweet. It was, the, it was. So it's like at this point, it was
0: like you were in community because that's hella meta, <laughs> right? That's.
1: <laughs> That's what it felt. And it was so bizarre. But that felt like a microcosm of Twitter, right? But but because everybody's position is equals. And, and let me be clear, I'm not saying this from some haughty or religious place. I think the the flip of that is You just know
0: your shit.
1: And the shit that I know. But but we also have to presume that because we're academics or because we have PhDs or, or master's degrees or or, or 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 because we spent fifty years studying a thing, it doesn't mean that people on the ground don't know shit. And it doesn't mean that our grandmoms and no. the deaconesses at the church. Everybody has knowledge that they have. But everybody also has to defer to technology they don't have. And I think that that what happens on Twitter is it allows for this kind of performance of self and of of expertise and and, and at this grandiose level that you never have to defer. You never have to concede a point. If you leave, you can just log off. If you lose, you can just log off. If you're wrong, you can just disappear and never concede the point. And it's it's not about conceding to be able to say, oh, I won. It's about being able to have an interesting and rigorous conversation that moves forward. So I... That conversation, in many ways, sparked me. Just as an example, to spend the next the last five years studying Afro-Palestinian work on a film, writing a book, doing these things, because I was like, yo, people really think these folk don't exist. But really, yeah. But then what's crazy is, but imagine if I if I did all that work just to convince that person, he'd be like, oh man, I guess you're right. Then he'd go back to <laughs> eating this eating his, his chicken pot pie in his mom's basement, right. and I would have spent five years in my of my life doing something for very little satisfaction. So you also don't want to kind of uh, get into the kind of back and forth crossfire pro wrestling kind of competitive thing that happens with intellectual engagement as well. It can't be a blood sport. It has to be for a bigger end and that bigger yes. end should be the liberation. If you're black, I believe should be for the liberation of your people.
0: You said something about discipline thinking and you said discipline thinking. Um, and, and, and I just, what I think is so dope about that, because I've never considered that concept, which is why it's good to have friends that are intellectuals. Because, like, you have... Con- you have Sometimes me and Mark talk about absolute bullshit.
1: For long like, periods of time.
0: Long periods of time. Mark has uh, been a partner in enabling me in absolute bullshit. <laughs> I will not <laughs> snitch on us. Um, <laughs> uh, we... So we, you know, we we find, I, you know, I want you to know though, I find a balance, I find a safe harbor, I find a solidity in our ability to talk about bullshit, to also like be honest with each other about our own bullshit, and then also to talk about real shit. So, like when you talked about disciplined thinking, I'd never, I'd never thought about how valuable that is in the fact that we look at muscle memory in our physicality and how it ends up being useful in these other ways in our lives. When you have disciplined thinking, it ends up being useful to how you think about everything. Everything. And that, to me, has been so, like when people ask me, what do you do with your masters? As a comic... The discipline thinking mm-hmm. that I went through, the rigorous training of applying comparative analysis, applying critical thinking, applying research, learning how to structure a thesis and prove it. That is the same. It's the same setup for a joke.
1: Exactly.
0: A joke is literally a thesis statement and then tags that support your thesis. So like that rigorous training and disciplined thinking has ended up being, I mean, priceless in how it's been applied to the many ways I exist as an artist, because even when I would be doing pundit work, you know, people would ask me, how do you come up with so f- stuff with so fast? Right. And to be honest, it's because I've been in many situations where I'm in a classroom in the communal schooling space where I got to have something to say mm-hmm. because they called on me. And I and I want to be a part of the conversation, so I have to really quickly process information and come up with something to spit it out. And so when I would be a pundit, or when I would even be a joke—I uh, mean, a comedian on—I was about to refer to myself as a jokester, by the way, a jokester. On VH1, you gotta come up with one-liners, ba ba ba. Mm-hmm. And there was a practice that I had learned in class of being able to get my thought out in a succinct fashion that would move the conversation forward.
1: Yep, yep. It's a habit of mind. It's a habit of body and a habit of mind that you learn.
0: And, and so people can... So for those of us who are listening, who are not in a, education, a traditional education space right now or a schooling space right now, how yeah. do you feel like... Because I do feel like Black intellectualism, even if you don't want to consider yourself unintellectual, I know that a lot of the people listening... They want to think intellectually about blackness. They want to. They 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 aspire to not just be. Um, they don't necessarily nec- want to be a part of like leading the conversation, but they absolutely want to be a part of, of, being active listeners in the conversation and perhaps joining the conversation and intellectualism and blackness definitely are essential parts. I think to a lot of our listeners in how to do that. So what do you think would be some ways they can apply discipline thinking?
1: Um, I think one is, is to read um, everything. I think social media is great. 140, 180 characters is dope. You know what I mean? YouTube is cool, but I think starting with some books, you know, starting with some really interesting books that advance an argument again, it doesn't have to be, your, your, your intellectual Bible, right? It doesn't have to be the thing that, that, that carries you forever. You may not believe everything in the book, but beginning to engage people's arguments, right? I mean, the first thing you did when you talked about race records was talk about Robin Kelly's argument, right? That's a particular way that a, a, a disciplined thinking allows you to understand something. We jump so quick to critique these days. We jump so quick to saying what's wrong with the thing that we don't fully uh, interpret what a person says. Right. So the, it, on Twitter, social media, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, people will do that. They'll be like, OK, did he did he said um, don't vote for Joe Biden? Right. Which is not what he said. Right. But they'll say did he said don't vote for Joe Biden. And then they jump right into the critique. It, discipline thinking that comes from reading, I think, and careful reading, suggests that the first thing I do is say, what was his argument? Why did he support that? What was what claims did he make to support that And When, that when
0: you say reading, what type of reading? Are we talking I think, nonfiction? I think nonfiction is great.
1: I think I think fiction and nonfiction is important. I think reading nonfiction though is good for, for hearing an argument, watching someone support an argument, a well reasoned argument, and then going through it again. Reading and it can be kind of uh, you know so, uh, it can be nonfiction that's that's well written and complicated. Like one of my favorite books of the last couple of years was "KSA Layman's Heavy. Uh, I can't. It's. Uh, I know. I know, but it's 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 it's, it's one of the It's literally
0: best- called Heavy.
1: Right, like, and, um, I read and it
0: in spurts.
1: You have to; it's, it's weighty, but it's beautiful and it's masterful. Uh, reading Baldwin, uh, read Ta Nehisi uh "Between Me and the World." Yep. Right, arguments are being made, and think about how they're being supported. Read a policy book on the Read Michelle Alexander's "New Jim Crow." Yeah, mm-hmm. "Between the World and Me." I said I might have said that back. "Between the World and Me," uh, Ta Nehisi Coates, like that's amazing. So you read that stuff, and you develop. I think fiction is also important for developing our imagination for developing, again, mm-hmm. reason and thought. I mean, I get as much intellectual uh, support and, and insight from Toni Morrison's Beloved or Song of Solomon or The Bluest Eye as I do from any nonfiction book I've read. So I think doing both of those things is important because that allows you to engage. The other, the next thing you, I think we should do, I think people should do is write. I'm not saying write essays and books. I'm saying just write to yourself. Take notes. Make 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 um, make observations similar to what I just said. Like You read a book and say, what is the person's argument? What were they trying to communicate? Did they do so effectively? Right? Who are they in conversation with? Because part of having a disciplined thinker is also to understand the connections between texts, right? So if I read ta Coates' Between the World and Me, which you held up, that book is even more interesting when I understand that it's in conversation with James Baldwin in terms of the uh, epistolary style of the letter writing, right? Right? So now they're in conversation with each other. Me, me, now me, 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 me. It, it's super important.
0: What's up, we, brother? We do I'm good, brother. How you doing? Hey, man. You know, just out here writing books. Man, I'm writing books too, man. We writing together in conversation. And, boom! That's the genius. That's
1: that's the genius. So we got to have those things in conversation with each other because that's what we do with music. That's what we do with other in art, right? When I listen to the first song on uh, hers album, I'm like, oh wait, this is Lauren Hill. This is lost ones. Right. So, so, but we hear it and we see it. So when I read between the world and I me, mean, I can say, okay, this style, this, this, this argument is like Baldwin, this writing, writing style is like Ellison though. Right. And I can see those things. Right. So I can say this sonically is this, but this, but, but content wise and flow wise is that, that helps us develop our thinking so that by the time we get into these conversations about politics or life, we're not just saying I disagree with so and so or Diddy's wrong. I can say, wait, no. Whether you agree with Diddy or not, I'm, I'm, I'm saying you can start by saying, okay, his argument is this, and he's actually in the tradition of a whole bunch of thinkers who have said that we can't be a captured electorate, that we can't hold our votes hostage to a particular party. Right. Not saying don't vote. Not saying don't vote Democrat if that's your, if that's you know if that's your twist. But 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 certainly saying that it shouldn't come at a price of nothing. But it's in conversation with stuff. But if I don't have the the intellectual kind of discipline and training to hear the argument and to see who it's in conversation with, then I can lose sight of stuff and I'm much more easily duped by the kind of frauds and the the grifters, you know. So so then I I I'll go to Twitter and see a Boyce Watkins and be like, oh, okay. Yeah, he makes sense to me, because you don't know no better. But if you're able to read and engage with people who Use that kid in school and be like, "Ooh, you gonna let him do that? That's a rumble by my way." You know what I mean? Like, nah, I, 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 I,
0: I, I, I think niggas kill for less,
1: right? <laughs> exactly. I'm just saying that was me, <laughs> but, but no, nah, I'm not even trying to. I'm not even trying to like come at his neck. I, 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 I just think he's, he's an example of a particular yes. type of persuasive argument to people who don't think well, and so. <gasps> What I'd like to see is have a group of people who think well, who can then make their own judgments about the world.
0: And not letting being an individual force you into being a contrarian.
1: Yes. Yes. That is so important it's okay to be a brave voice in the wilderness. I've been a, a voice in the wilderness on some shit, right? I, I've, I've spoken out when other people didn't and other people say.
0: Brother, we have...
1: That's one of our right, One of the things we bond around. And it's like, I'm with that. But sometimes I feel like people just want to be different. Like, they're the person that'll call every World Series wrong, every NBA thing wrong. So sort of that one time when they write, they can be like, I told you so. Right. Told you Toronto was going to going to State. Nigga, you didn't know that... Katie was going to break his leg, that that Clay was going to tear his ACL. You, you know what I'm saying? It, it, it's like, don't just say shit just to be different. Say something because you have a pushback. Ask terrible questions of everybody. Absolutely. But but do so in good faith. And, and I think that's the core thing here is that so much of the debate and the argument and the conversations that happen now aren't in good faith. They're not to arrive at a better answer. They're not to understand knowledge more deeply. They're not to free us. They're to get money. They're to look different. You know what I mean? They're to yeah. exploit our misery and pain. That's not a good faith disagreement. That's not a good faith argument. That's why I'm trying to do better at not arguing with the grifters and, and the idiots. and the, You know what I mean? Because they don't argue in good faith. They're not trying to arrive somewhere else.
0: So, where do you see... Where do you see your most... Your greatest value as a black intellectual in, in general, like why do you feel like we're valuable?
1: At the personal level, I see my value. Actually I'll speak more broadly. I think the greatest value we have is challenging what counts as common sense. That is our value to offer dangerous and critical and counterintuitive Claims about the world. We have to challenge what counts as common sense. We have to be able to say, okay, I know we think that this is just how the world works, but the world could actually be something else, right? The idea that the government could just give everybody—remember, remember—we talk about reparations, right? People dismiss reparations by saying, what, well, the government's going to come up with a bunch of money and give everybody a check? Who are they going to know who to give it to? How are we going to figure it out? And then the last six weeks, that's exactly what the fuck they did. They, they got a bunch of money. They gave everybody a check, somewhat indiscriminately, quite frankly, and everybody got a check. Why? Because they needed to, because it was in the government's best interest. It was in the state's best interest. That's why. Not for us, but for them. So it can be done. But we normalize the idea that it couldn't be. So yeah. we have to challenge what count. It was just common sense that that don't make no sense until it does. Right. It was just common sense that that that, that black folk and white folk couldn't integrate or desegregate. And I'm not saying that's the end goal. I'm just saying that that's that that as an example. It was
0: thought that that was impossible.
1: Right. Until it wasn't. That apartheid couldn't end until it did. That marriage equality couldn't happen until it happened. We have that women
0: couldn't work and be mothers. Exactly.
1: So now let's let's challenge common sense on the deep and fundamental levels that are in our interest. Let's challenge the common sense that whiteness is better. This this overarching structure of white supremacy, let's dismantle that. And I love
0: your use of common sense right now, because I think a lot of people, you know, we only consider common sense to mean, like, thinking the best way about something. And it's oftentimes, no, it's just thinking the most way. The most people think this way about this. It's a common sensibility about something. And for some people, white is better is common common sense. sense.
1: They don't think anything of it. They don't think anything of, the, the, the dangerous part of the world is not the unorthodox stuff or the orthodox stuff, right? Because if you think something's orthodox, you allow for the possibility of an unorthodoxy, right? Um, Pierre Bourdieu, the, 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 the French philosopher and sociologist talked about the idea of the doxa. So the orthodox is the thing that you, you know is the, kind of the, the formal way to do it, but you know there's another way. That's why it's called unorthodox. The shit you need to be scared of is the stuff that you don't question at all. The stuff that you don't see as the formal way to do it. Or, right. It's just the only way to do it's, it. It's just life. It's just life. And that's what needs... Like, people don't question... the People can imagine the end of the world itself before they can imagine the end of patriarchy, the, the end of jails, the end of capitalism. Right? True. So when I say... When I, as, as a prison abolitionist, when I say, well, the world needs... We need to have a world without prisons... It's not just that people say, oh, prison is one way to do it. Let's think of another. They literally can't imagine a world without prison. They, it's literally inconceivable to them, right? And so for me, my job is to challenge that common sense and say, hey, wait a minute. As the World Social Forum says, another world is possible. There is a world without male domination. There is a world without exploitation exploitative economic relations. There's a world where punishment doesn't mean confinement, and confinement doesn't mean... You know, it, 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 we can We can imagine... <laughs> new things, right? Justice doesn't have to mean punishment at all, right? We can imagine something different, but that black intellectual has to be willing to do that. All intellectuals should be doing that. But the black intellectual has a particular responsibility to do that in the interest of black freedom. I don't have the luxury of just studying 15th century novels. Not saying I don't care about them, but it needs to get us somewhere. I don't have the luxury of, just, of, of, of studying some abstract philosophical quagmire like The Liar. Right? Um, I I don't have that luxury. It needs to get me somewhere because we are unfree. And my personal stake in that, I think, is to do that within the community as much as in the academy. I don't just want to be writing articles and books um, that challenge the status quo and the norm and common sense. That's cool. There's a a value in that, and I, I take it very seriously, as you know. But I also take seriously being in my neighborhood talking to communities, organizing, working, because I think that also plays a role. Yes. And they need to see us there. They need to see us doing that work.
0: Well, you better work. So Um, fucking ridiculous. So first of all, books, tell them about the latest book.
1: I got a couple books that are The book that I want everybody to read right now is still Nobody, because I think it still has something to say about this COVID crisis. It's called Nobody, the Politics of America's War on the Vulnerable, from Ferguson to Flint and beyond. You can just look up Nobody. And the reason why is because while I was talking about everything from Ferguson, Missouri to the Flint water crisis, uh, what the book gets at on a deeper level is this question of who's rendered disposable by the state, especially in moments of crisis. And so now with the COVID-19 thing, we're seeing another example of, yeah, we all can get sick. The epidemiology might be universal, but the impact isn't, you know? And and so I want people to think and wrestle with that. So read nobody. I got two books coming out at the end of the year. Uh, One is called uh, Except for Palestine, uh, which is a crisis of American, uh, the crisis of progressive politics. We're really challenging those of us on the left to think about Palestinian human rights and freedom and self determination as part of a bigger conversation about um, about what it means to be on the left, right? We can't we can't have a Palestinian exception. Um, the other book is called "Schooling Against the Prison." Um, that's a book that should be out uh, the same time within a month of it, uh, which looks at how we can do school different. Basically, I, w- I want to imagine schools in ways that not only reduce the number of people going into prison, but give us permission to believe that a world without prisons is possible. And so and that's a book that's, I've been working on for a very long time and I'm finishing a film, you've seen clips of it, um, called um, Black in the Holy Land, uh, which is looking at uh, Afro descendants throughout uh, the Middle East uh, and looking at sort of the experience of what it means to be black in the Middle East. Um, and I'm really excited about that. It'll be my first film uh, uh, as a director. Um, so I'm super excited about that. I'm just trying to keep working. In in this moment of, of crisis, uh, it's hard to be creative. It's hard to be productive. Yes. Um, and I don't hold anybody accountable for not being, you know, I don't blame anybody, you know, but for me, um, because I, I run around so much, I'm always in the airport, as you know, um, and as you are, you know, um, it's, it's super important for me right now to just sit down and, and, and almost like just dump all this, all these ideas and thoughts that I've been, sort of that have been swimming around my head for years now. So I'm, I'm just excited to keep working.
0: So what you're saying is you a smart yard, nigga. You read all these books. You write all these books. Now you a director, fancy schmance nigga, but can you kick, kick my ass? ass. <laughs> that's what I knew you was going. <laughs> and that's that. Thank you all for joining me and Mark Lamonthill here on Small Doses. Side effects of being a black intellectual. As you can tell, I am smarter than him. Um, so
1: <laughs>
0: I may not be smarter, but I am better looking. Ah, ah,
1: ah. Very good. Star a podcast,
0: <clears throat> A podcast network.